feels like 9.30 a.m., but it's really 10.30 a.m. So let's stand as we open and worship this morning. And you're worthy of worship, you're worthy of praise, you're worthy of honor, you're worthy of thanks, you're worthy of worship, you're worthy of praise, you're worthy of honor, you're worthy of thanks. Amen, you may be seated. 
I would like to welcome you guys here to uh, Faith Family. My name is Alex. I am the worship leader here. Um, and it's so great to have you all here to uh, take some time as the body of Christ to worship the risen Savior. To be able to sing praises to Him, to pray to Him, to study His Word, and just to glorify Him in all that we do. Um, to be able to do that as a group, as a community. So we're so glad you guys are here this morning. Um, if you look in the pew in front of you um, or behind you, there are connection cards. So if you are a guest, um, we would love for you to fill one of those out so we can get to know you um, a little better. Just say hey um, and thank you for being here. Um, so we are, we're very glad uh, that you're here. If you will direct your attention to the screens, we're going to have a little video um, and then we will continue. We live in a Christian nation. That's what some people say. Maybe that's why they often ask, why do we need missionaries here? There are places in North America where there are very few churches. People are very open to conversation, but nine times out of 10, they have not heard of Jesus. There is no pastors, there is no people can share the gospel with them. There's lives that can be made whole with the gospel. And we're watching God change people's hearts and change people's lives. But I wish people knew how many more laborers we need in the mission field because it's more than we can handle. Church planting is hard. We just got to work together. We can do more together than we can do apart. We need all the help that we can get, and that's what Annie does. It allows for more laborers to come here. The Annie Armstrong Easter offering unites us all, big and little, young and old, black and white. We all give because we know that when we do, our communities will look more like this. And we all give because we know there's a name and a face on the other side of that gift. This offering, this gift that we're giving to and that everyone else is giving to, it does have a face. It's my face. This is the body. This is the body of Christ. That's what any Armstrong means to me. So this past week, we've just finished the week of prayer where we had a chance to... Um, to pray for the North American Mission Board um, and just the, the way that uh, the missionaries here in North America are serving. Um, you know, as the video said, we may, we may be thought of as a Christian nation, uh, but there are several unreached areas in North America, um, in the United States, uh, that, that don't have churches. Um, so when we give to the uh, Annie Armstrong Easter offering, you know, we give to, to further the kingdom here in the United States um, and in North America in general. So, you know, I encourage you guys, that's going to be uh, the Easter offering, so around Easter time, uh, to be able to be in prayer um, from now until then, just and in general, just be in prayer for missions in North America, missions um, around the world, uh, and consider giving uh, as part of that, for, for that offering um, to serve. Uh, for, for missions. So uh, if you will attention, direct your attention to the screens again, we're going to have the month memory verse. Uh, so we've been memorizing a verse each month, and this month we are doing uh, 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Um, so we're going to read it once, um, 
So let's, let's read that together. It says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 8 through 9. What a great verse. Um, I want to give you guys a chance um, just to, to read through this, um, to meditate on it, because we're called to meditate on God's word. Um, so we're going to take about a minute uh, for, for everyone to just read through the verse, to meditate on it, um, to pray through it, um, and then we'll continue. our sins, that you will forgive us. We are so unworthy, and yet you are so willing to forgive. Lord, when we call on your name, when we surrender to you, we thank you. Lord, help us to, Lord, to continue in worshiping you. Father, if we, as we have through song, through reading your scripture, through prayer, Lord, help us to continue to focus on you and glorify you. We love you and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand as we continue to sing. A quick reminder, we will not have uh, service tonight um, because of the mission house um, gathering that we are doing. Sorrow and dead in my sin, lost without hope and no place to be. Your love made a way to let mercy come in. When death was arrested. was redeemed, only beauty remains. My orphan heart was given away. My morning grew quiet, my free rose to dance. 
was arrested in my life again. Oh, your grace so free washes over me. You have made me new now. Life begins with you. Release from my chains. I'm a prisoner no Savior, say, 
Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as as your own. You have redeemed us. Father, help us not take that for granted, but remember the weight of the cross, the payment that was due, the sacrifice that was made. Help us to remember 
cost you your son. Jesus, it costs you your life. But help us to rejoice in the fact that it didn't end there. For you didn't just conquer sin, you conquered death too. You rose again so that we can live with you forever. Lord, help us to rejoice in that. Father, I pray for Matthew as he comes to bring the word. Lord, that you will speak through him. God, that you will open our ears and prepare our hearts to receive your word, the words from your spirit. Father, help us to love you and serve you in all that we do. Help us to leave this building better equipped to be your church and to love those around us. Father, we love you and we praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everybody. I hope you're doing well this morning. So we're going to pray here in just a second. Pastor Joel, uh, who is going to be here, uh, is, I believe, on his way uh, to the doctor, is having some, um, to migraine issues, some, uh, something, something going on that he's severely nauseated, and uh, that's, that's as much as I, I was able to get. And so we, uh, so he is, he is heading to get, uh, get some medical attention, so we will pray for him uh, here in just a second and uh, pray for our time together. So more prayer this morning. Um, we have a lot to pray for and a lot to pray for on top of him, but also things going on in the world and that uh, the sovereign God of the universe who is not uh, far from anyone and not far from anything happening, who knows and sees that we would ask and beckon him to lead and guide us and help us um, to, to see what he is doing, and also uh, to pray for his kindness, mercy, and compassion on people in Ukraine and the church there, uh, that he would strengthen uh, people who have remained there, who, are, who have been called into that area, and who are seeking to serve and to help those who are suffering and struggling. So we'll pray here for Pastor Joel and uh, Miss Janet, and also for our time together uh, along with Ukraine here in a second. All right, so we have, uh, we have got, we're going to talk about Jesus today. We're going to talk about God. We're going to talk about uh, specifically who he is and what he has done and where we find ourselves in the world. Uh, what is before each of us, what we're all looking forward to, and, uh, and what, he, what he has provided, and what comes in judgment. And so, let's pray if you would. Join me in prayer. Father God, I thank you again for this morning. God, I thank you for this opportunity to gather together. This opportunity to gather around your word and your work, what you have done in your world. And God, so often, so often, I know I live, I live like I am the, the boss. 
like I'm in charge. And it's a fiction. It's a fiction, Lord, that I have authority over myself and over things around me. You are the Lord. You are God. You are sovereign. You are the king. You are the one who has created, formed, and you're the one who maintains, who has sent your son to redeem, to bring about restoration, not just for people, not for humanity alone, but to bring all things underneath your feet, to restore all your creation into the order that you intended. And so, Father, when, when we hear tragedies like what's happening in Ukraine, Lord, that we find distressing, that we find, Lord, difficult to, to wrestle with and bear with how this can happen, that, God, you are, you are the Lord. And so, Father, I ask that, God, you would spare lives, that, God, you would empower and fill your church that is there with your spirit and your word, and that you would use them to meet needs. You would use them to take care of and protect others, grasp them out of harm's way, and, and give them and share with them the spiritual remedy that will outlast this life. To share with them Christ and him crucified and resurrected and that, Lord, the gospel would go out. You would use your people in Ukraine, in surrounding areas, that you would be glorified and that people would come to know you. And so, Father, would you, would you help us, one, to pray for them and one, to, Lord, would you lead us for how best we are to support the local church there? for what you would have us to do. Lord, may we be sensitive to your leading there. May we be sensitive to, Lord, your call on us to be involved in the world, to be involved in, Lord, your call, your missional call to the nations. And so, Father, I ask that, God, you, Lord Jesus, would, would be known, would be made known, and that, God, you would be glorified on the other side of the world, and that you'd be glorified now, here, among us. God, would you be with Pastor Joel? Lord, would you provide as he, as he goes to, Lord, the ER or urgent care, whatever, wherever he is going, that God, you, Lord, would give direction to physicians. God, you would allow testing to be clear. God, would you, God, would you be merciful upon him? That God, you, Lord, would preserve his mind. That God, there would be whatever is happening. God, you would allow it to be clear. And that you would, Lord, may, it, may there be no permanent um, damage, no permanent issue with whatever's, whatever's occurring, God. And so, Father, you, you're aware and you know. And Lord, we entrust him to your hands. Trusting that you, God, will, will care for him. So, Father, we ask all these things in the name of your Son, your precious Son, Jesus. Amen. So this morning, we are going to look at some ultimate things. So this past Wednesday night with the students, we looked topically, specifically at judgment and hell. And we looked at this, this side of the world, of the ultimate outcome of things, and what God does to sin, how he relates to sin, and how he relates 
to those who are entrenched in sin and what, what occurs. And so we're, we, we're going to look at Christ this morning. We're going to look at what Jesus has done, what God has done, and what awaits in the face of this reality of God's work on the cross. And so we're going to look at Hebrews, Hebrews 10. So most of this, I don't think any of it will be on the screen. So if you have a phone or a physical copy of Scripture, we're going to be flipping this morning. It's going to be fun. It's going to be like pre-1999, pre-Y2K. It's just going to be, it's going to be good. All right? <laughs> so read with me if you would. We're going to start in verse 19 of Hebrews 10. And we're going to read through verse 31 and focus in specifically on verses 26 through 31. And so this, Hebrews is a heavy book. It is a heavy book of Scripture. There are some places within the book of Hebrews that are difficult to wrestle with and difficult to deal with. Some of them, some places that don't really make sense in our minds because we are so separate from the view of the world, the Hebrew view of the world thousands of years ago. We're so separate in how we view things that some of it doesn't make sense. But here specifically, this, this presents here, this author in chapter 10, a very stark reality of what is before each of us. What is before each of us and what we do with Jesus. What we do with the gospel, of whether we believe in Christ and walk in faith, or whether we see and hear who Christ is and say no and reject him and turn to a different manner of life or continue in a specific manner of life contrary to Christ alien from God, and in opposition to him. So, it's tough words, but in there being tough words, there is such a beautiful glimpse and picture of grace and God and his compassion and his goodness. All right, so read with me if you would, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Hebrews is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus and his supremacy. That Jesus is the Lord, that he is the king, and that he is supreme over all things. 
that all things in the Old Testament point forward to Christ, to Christ coming, to the Son of God taking flesh, being incarnated, taking humanity, a human soul, and a human flesh upon himself, and living in fulfillment of the moral and legal expectation in the Scripture, living in fulfillment of that, that he would represent God, show God, display God. He would be the eminence and the radiance of the true character of God the Father, of the Creator God on earth in front of us that we could see, we can understand, we could clearly know who God is, what his heart is, and his intentions are for creation and for humanity, and that he would come and give his life on a cross, on a a terrible implement of suffering, so that all things, every bit of creation, could be brought back underneath the feet of God, could be restored to the created intent of God as he made it to be, not just humanity, you and me and everyone that has existed, but all things could be brought back underneath the feet of God as he intended, so that he could be clearly known, vividly known as the Lord and the God that he really is. And so Jesus, in the book of Hebrews, he comes, he is in supremacy over the angels. He's in supremacy over spiritual powers. He's in supremacy over Abraham, supremacy over the patriarchs, that Christ is greater than Moses. He is greater than all the people that the Hebrews, as they, in their realm of understanding, pointed to as super people that Jesus is greater than each one of them. He is the Lord. He is the King. He is God. And God himself, who has come, has given his life. Jesus, who lived without wealth, without privilege, without anything that that you or I could point to as authority, as human, like these are things we want and desire, he humbled himself. He lived as the servant of all, being served by no one but serving everyone. The king and creator of all things came and served everyone on his time on the earth. He gave of himself so that he could give ultimately in obedience to what God the Father had instructed him to do, that he could give ultimately of his precious, perfect limitless, valuable blood to pay for sin. We're going to take communion this morning. We're going to take of some juice and some cracker that he instructs us to do as we gather together, that he instructs his church to take of these elements, these pieces, as a picture of what he has done That for us to stand here, to sit here, for us to have promise and hope in life, it cost the shed blood of Christ. It was very costly. We do not merit, we do not earn his mercy and his kindness and his goodness. He freely gives that, but it was not free. Jesus died to pay for sin, to undo the curse of death. To write what Adam and Eve and every person, including you and me, have continued to do in rebellion against God. Jesus came and gave his life for it, suffered, and died for that. And so as we read this text, 
as the author has built this argument of this is who Jesus is, this is what he has done, and the Hebrews, as they are dealing with in their own lives, things have not meted out kind of how they expected. And so they are, they're considering, you know what, this, this didn't work out like we, like we thought. This has been hard and difficult, and it's not exactly the, the circumstances we want, our, we want to find ourselves in. So maybe we got it wrong. Maybe Jesus is not who we thought he was. And maybe we'll, let's look back. I, I like the sacrificial system. I enjoyed going and taking my, my lamb and bird and all these things and, and sacrificing them and then having a barbecue. I really enjoyed that part. I, I, think, I think we're, maybe, maybe I got it wrong. Maybe, maybe Jesus is not who I thought he was. Maybe I want to go back to the sacrificial system. Go back to the law of Moses. Go back to this manner of pleasing God. And I'll just, I'll leave Jesus. And that's what they were thinking about. That's what they were, that's what they were considering. And so God inspired the author of Hebrews to write this letter to these people who are dealing and weighing with this and considering forsaking Christ, turning away from him to turn back to a manner of life in order to please God. To a list of rules in order to make God happy with them and to bring about forgiveness for them. And so this place we find ourselves here is where God has instructed these people and then to us, if that is the, the, the thing in, in balance as we're thinking of what an atrocious evil it is to spit upon Christ, the God of the universe, Jesus and what he has done, to say no to him and turn away from him, knowing who he is and what he has done, and go to some different form of life. Go to some different means and measure of attaining forgiveness before God. It is a false hope. Anything else but Christ is a false hope. And so he says, therefore, since we have confidence, since Jesus has done this, since it is impossible to please God except through faith, and that by the blood, that without the shedding of blood there is no remission or forgiveness of sins, that it is because of what Jesus has physically done that he has come and given his life on the cross, that his blood has been shed, and that the curtain in the, the presence of God, the tabernacle in the temple, where God's physical presence was with people, that that was removed so that the blood being shed and laid upon the altar paid for the debt of sin for all eternity, and that as Jesus ascended into heaven to take his sacrifice into the holy of holies, into the heavenly abode of God, and lay what he has done before the Father, before eternal God, that he fulfilled what was expected of him, and that his perfect blood was laid on the, the heavenly altar in payment of sin, visibly on earth, but eternally before triune God in heaven. That we have, because of this, we can have confidence. We can have confidence because of what he has done to know and approach God. That very last verse we said, that, that we read, it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. Has anybody read every bit of the Old Testament? All the way through. Genesis, Malachi, all of it. All right. What does God look like there? Are there, are there places in there where God is, he inspires fear? Yes. Yes. So our students, our kids, 
we've, we've been walking through the beginning. We've been walking through the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and have been looking at uh, in creation in the patriarchs in Genesis and then looking at Exodus and what God did in Egypt to bring Israel out and then what God did among the people as he brings them into this land of promise and how they rebelled and said, uh-uh, this is not good for us. And, and then they walk around for 40 years in judgment because they rejected what God had instructed them to and they saw God, and they said, no, I, th- I think this is too scary. And so they, they, they turn away, and we have, we have, as this occurs, as God shows up for Israel through these first five books of the Bible, we have, a, at times, a terrifying view of God's glory. He is not small. He is not a little, a little God. He is not a local God who is just on this one hill. He is in charge of all. He has made it all, and he makes that vividly clear in the beginning of Scripture as he desecrates the, the, the human authority in the world, Egypt. He destroys them. And that he continues, we see in Joshua, the book of Joshua, as he brings Israel in to this this place in the world that's full of people, giant walled cities, big old people, 11 foot tall folks who have been terrifying. I could not imagine standing in front of Goliath or some of these other guys who are 11 feet tall. Just unbelievable. That must have been terrifying. Yet God went before his people. God was not limited whatsoever by the circumstances around them. But God fulfilled his promise. God did what he said he would do. And he brought his people into this land of promise. The God of the universe. The living God. What a fearful thing is to fall into his hands of judgment. What a fearful thing it would be. And so, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus... Because it is not safe to enter his presence in our sin. He is not limited. He is not incapable. He judges sin. He judges evil. He judges each one of us. We may live and think we're going to get away with things and think, oh, no one saw that. I'm good. God knows. And so what hope do we have? If he is a living God, he is alive, he is not a law, he is not a a thing somewhere off in the distance who is far away, but he is alive and near, what hope do we have? If this is the God we see in Scripture, the authority he has, what hope do we have? What can we do? What can we do in face of this God? The blood of Jesus. What Jesus has done is our hope. So look forward, verse 26. For we go on sinning deliberately if we have trusted in Christ and then we continue on. So Jesus came, gave his life to pay and destroy sin. The goal was to destroy sin. Sin being opposition to God. Sin being a position. It is a volition. It is a choice. But it's also a condition. 
Sin is a condition of our hearts where we conditionally in our souls are contrary to God. That not only we behaviorally say, no, I'm going to do what I want to do, but it's also the heart, the soul, the tone of who we are, where we just, we are repulsed by being told what to do, by being instructed, by not doing what we want. That condition of our heart, that is, that's the sin he's talking about. That's what sin is. It is our behavior, but it is more than that. It is our soul. It is our, our position and condition before God. And so if we go on sinning deliberately, we choose to turn into a manner of living that is in contrary position to God, that is walking away from him, receiving the knowledge of the truth, the knowledge of who Jesus is, the knowledge of who God is, of what he has done, there no longer remains a sacrifice of sin. What does that mean? What is he saying? Is he saying that we can lose salvation? Is he saying that if we trust in Christ and then we decide we will go look at something we shouldn't, we will go steal from somebody, we will kick a kids, a sibling, or we will be angry at at uh, a speed limit or a, a police officer for doing something, enforcing something we break. If we then look at our ta- taxes are coming up and we want to we ignore a handful of things that we, that we receive, we want to ignore some income here, and eh, that, that, this here qualified for a deduction, but eh, it kind of maybe if you look at it this way, it'll qualify. And so we're going to we're going to kind of make things fit as, as it would benefit us. We will fudge the lines a bit of what is right and what is in the spirit of the, the law in order to benefit ourselves. That these, these things, this, um, is, that, is that what he's saying? That we, we kind of make a bad decision and then it's done. I sure hope not. I woke up this morning, was not too thrilled at my children. My youngest is throwing a fit because I can't make toast fast enough. And I'm not happy. I am, I am aggravated at, at little, at, at, I just I was not in a good place. So, my sin, what does that mean? Does that mean I'm hopeless? Does that mean I have no, does, is, that, is that what he's saying here? No. All I have is the blood of Christ. Christ is all I've got. He's my only hope. I am stupid and I sin and I do bad things. But I know who Jesus is and I am in desperate need of His grace. And that there may be a time temporarily where I decide I'm, I'm, just, I'm going to be contrary. But by what God has done, He brings me back. What I think he's saying here is that if we go on sinning deliberately, that it is, the, it is the station of our life as we say no to Jesus and we say, I'm going to go a different way. I'm going to walk away from Christ. I know who he is, but I'm done with this. I'm going to walk away from him and that that will be the tone of my life. That I'm going to deconstruct my faith and walk into a different a different belief and a different view of the world that what I would say is true and right and what I want to do in life is, is where I need to go, not what God has said and what he has accomplished. I think that's what he's saying. 
that if we walk away from Jesus, we jettison the gospel and say, it's not making it anymore. I'm going to look for a different manner and a different way of life. There is no forgiveness for sin. You have forsaken the, for, you've forsaken the Savior. The one way you can be forgiven, the one way you can approach God in His holy, righteous presence, in confidence and in hope, Jesus You have turned away from Him and walked away from Him. There is no means for renewal. There is no means for repentance because you have spat upon the Savior. And you won't want it. You have seen clearly knowledge. You've seen the knowledge of the truth and you've said, I'm done. What awaits you? What awaits someone who has turned away fully from Christ? And so look, verse 29, but a fearful expectation of judgment, a fury of fire will that consume the adversaries. Who is this? What is this? What is he referring to? Is he referring to an immediate place of judgment? Is he referring to, well, God going to catch you and, and he's going he gonna to handle something in your life and it's just done? Is that what he's saying? I don't think so. I think he's pointing specifically to a place. I think he's pointing specifically to a place and an outcome of those who are adversaries of God, those who have turned away from God and who are who internally, spiritually are consumed in their position of being contrary to God. That there is a place that awaits. God judges sin. God judges our sin. Historically, biblically, this place has several names, but... Hell is what we think of. Hell is the term that we are, that, that is common for us. This is a location, a place. Not only is it an outcome in life, an experience, but it's a, it's a place. That if we were going to walk through Scripture and we were going to look at the references that again and again and again, it's referring to location. It's referring to physical things. There have been theologians who have tried to rationalize this away and say that hell is simply an experience. It's simply something that occurs, that you die, and if you're judged, you're annihilated. You're just, you're snuffed out and it's over with. There are some who've, who've wrestled with it and say, no, it's not, it's not even that. It's just, it is just a, it's a state of being and it will be a, it'll be just a, a thing of, of, of meet, where punishment will be meted out in congruence with, with the manner and like Dante's Inferno type thing. You'll have layers of this place and, and different ways to rationalize it. But throughout what Jesus says, if we were going to walk through, he talks, about, he talks about a place, a lake of fire, a place where this fire never ends, a place of suffering that he at times pointed to a garbage heap in the area of Jerusalem where it was a physical location where trash was burned and it never stopped burning. Pointing to a physical location to direct attention to this spiritual place, hell. If we looked at Second Peter, Second Peter 2, if, uh, don't go over there, uh, you can if you want to, that's great, but we're not going to read it right now. It, uh, it points to a place, hell, that was made for fallen angels, the devil and fallen angels, this, this location that was made that these beings that rebelled against God would one day be cast into. 
And so humanity who rejects and rebels against God will, be, will receive the same judgment. That God's enemies will receive the same judgment of being separated from others and cast into this place. And so this place, as we see here, let's pull it out of these verses, a fearful expectation of judgment that God will judge sin, he will judge us, and a fury of fire, fire, painful. Have you ever been burned? It don't feel good. Who's stronger, the fire or you? The fire, not going to go well. Fury of fire, painful, difficult, consumes Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies. So we have a comparison here with the law of Moses dies without mercy. The evidence of two or three witnesses. So we have in the law, in the Mosaic law, as the, the Jews, as they, as they sin, that if, if it is presented, there is judgment. There was judgment within there. There was judgment within the law that if you sinned eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, that there was uh, judgment based on the crime, but also certain crimes, certain sins entailed death, immediate. Handle this. Get rid of the sin out of the camp, and there was judgment. So how much worse in hearing the law that there is judgment there for sin, how much worse would it be to turn away, as it says, verse 29, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God, profane the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified? And has outraged the spirit of grace. In other words. In other words. Considering in life. You know what. I'm, I'll be fine. I'll get away. I will, I will turn from Jesus. And from the gospel. And it will work out. I'll find a good way to live. I will, I'll do just enough. To have my fire insurance. And at the end of my life. I will turn and. Say, Jesus, I trust in you, and it will be done. It will be good to go. Have you ever heard anyone say that? I've, I've, heard, I've, I've heard it. This author, God is warning us. God is warning us here. If there was certain judgment in the Old Testament, there was certain judgment to Israel, you better be sure there will be judgment for us who turn from Jesus. There will be certain judgment that will come. And how much worse will it be to reject Christ? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, verse 30, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. Friends, please hear, please hear me here. Jesus has come. God has sent his son to be the savior of the world that anyone who would call upon his name, who would forsake, fully turn away from sin, agreeing, the verse we're memorizing in uh, 1 John 1, that that confess our sins means to agree with God. It is verbalizing to God our sin, but it's also agreeing with what he says about us. 
agreeing with what he says about our condition, agreeing with what he says about our decisions, agreeing with what he says about sin, rather than seeking to, to diminish and to put away judgment and to say, you know what, this happened, I did this because of this person, because of this situation, and because of something else, diminishing sin as less than and not identifying it as God does, as sin deserving of judgment. Confessing that, confessing those decisions and that position before him, that we would cast ourselves onto Christ fully, trusting in him and in nothing else. God judges our sin, yet if the blood of Jesus has been given to us, has been paid for on our account, what hope we have. So believer, if you have trusted in Christ, remind yourself of what Jesus has done. Remind yourself of his goodness, of his grace, that you are only forgiven before God because of him. He is your only hope. And if you find yourself, like me this morning, just struggling in sin, ask God for forgiveness. Repent. Turn away from it. Turn to Him, trusting in His goodness. You cannot exhaust His grace. You cannot exhaust His forgiveness. It is infinite. He is infinite. He can forgive if you turn to Him. Turn to Him and trust in Christ. Turn away from that sin and trust in Him, believer. If you don't know Him, if you've spurned the Son of God and you've said, I don't think so, I don't think that's what I want, Uh, It doesn't sound good. Listen to what he says. There will be judgment for your sin. There will be judgment for our sin. And either Jesus has taken your judgment or you will take it one day. And there will be one day where God lays upon the judgment that sin deserves. It will be laid upon your account. Or it can be laid upon the account of Christ. It's the choice He gives us. What will you do with Him? Have you trusted in Christ? Have you trusted in what He has done 2,000 years ago in 33 years as He lived and He gave His life in this one moment of time as He gave Himself? Have you trusted in Him? This is an opportunity for you to trust in Christ, to have hope. To see that he has paid for your sin. But it is only true of those who trust in him. It is not natural. It doesn't automatically happen. It's not general to all people. It is for those who trust in Christ. Who are called by his grace. Who the spirit comes and draws you and opens your eyes. And gives you life by faith in him. And what he has done on your account. Is it true of you? Have you trusted in him? Have you responded to what he has done and who he is? Go to Philippians 3.17. We'll wrap up with these few verses here. (laughs) And the Lord's Supper. 3.17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you now now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. 
Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. If you are in Christ, you're a new creation, the old has gone away and the new has come. There are still scars, there are still struggles, you will still, you will still mess up, you'll still do stupid things. It still will happen. But it is in your weakness that the grace and the goodness of God is evident and that he is glorified because he is the Lord and glory will be his. And so he says that if our citizenship, if our identity is in heaven, if Jesus has given his life on our behalf, we have trusted in him, that there is hope that one day as we await Jesus returning, as we await the Savior, the Lord returning to earth, that he will call you to be with him. And that you will be remade what you do not see but what you trust is true. And you trust in him that he will accomplish it and it will be visible. It will be without doubt. You will see who he is. You will see clearly and all people will see who he is. Whether our knee has been bowed to him or not, we will all see God. We will all see Christ, him exalted. And that by his power that enables him to subject all things to himself that all things are beneath his feet, that we, according to that power, will be with him for eternity because of his grace, because of what he has done. And here in a minute, we will celebrate, we'll rejoice in, and we'll be reminded of. So if you would pray with me, we're going to have a moment, a very brief moment of invitation, and then we will move into the Lord's Supper. Father God, I thank you for your mercy. God, I thank you for your grace. You are the Lord. You are the King. Remind us this morning. God, we are limited. I am limited. I think myself invincible sometimes. But that my days, my life is in your hands. And so, Father, would you lead us this morning? Would you lead us to be humbled before you to come to you in repentance and trust and dependence upon Christ, that only in him do we have hope. Only in him can we have life. Would you renew us, God, this morning? And would you draw, Lord, those who do not know you to trust fully in your son? In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.